it got really gnarly like 116 degrees and the wind is just blowing super hard it felt like we were in like a hair dryer from hell and it was insane welcome to weathering the run no matter how far you're heading out to run no matter the location or time of day you're out there there's one thing you always have to deal with and that's the weather i'm andrew buck michael a meteorologist and i love running Sometimes the weather's perfect and you just want to keep going on forever. But other times, Mother Nature may take a turn for the worse and you're left to the elements. That's what we're here to do. Hear stories of the craziest weather some runners have experienced and what they may change if given a rerun. So lace up your shoes as we go along with them, weathering the run. Well, thanks for everyone joining put on the podcast here. And I have a really special guest because... What does it take to run across the desert, not only just one time multi-stage race, but going back again and then going back again. And I'm really excited to have on Chris Ward to weathering the run today. Chris, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm very excited to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, man, I'm psyched. I'm a science teacher. I have. And I have to say, like, weather is the one topic I haven't had the privilege to teach in my like 11 years of teaching. So I'm like, oh, man, really? I should have, like, brushed up on my weather terms. That's fine. We can geek out then a little bit later. What do you teach science? Uh, what, what I topic? teach my topics are, like, biology, and uh, we're in geology right now. So I'm totally into rocks right now, but not clouds. So I'm looking down, not up, basically. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Now I'm, And I feel a little... Um, I, I don't know, a little pressure here today because you run the uh, Like a Bigfoot podcast and you've got 330 episodes of that. I mean, you are, I mean, you're a professional at this. I still don't know what I'm doing, so uh, you should feel <laughs> totally comfortable. Uh, no, man, thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, I started that project, um, it's, uh, without giving like the whole big story, but uh, we, my wife and I had moved to Colorado and I it was in the middle of the fall. So I wasn't able to get, like, I wasn't looking for a teaching job and I had a newborn and a two year old. So I was stay at home dad for a year. And let me tell you, being stay at home dad is way harder than teaching a hundred middle school kids way harder than have, you know, going into the, the office and the workspace and stuff. And I just needed a project for myself. You know, I was like, I need like yeah. an hour a week where I'm having an adult conversation about something not connected to parenting or whatever. And so I started the podcast and I just made the commitment of like, hey, I'm going to do this once a week for a year and started off interviewing a bunch of my friends and family members doing cool stuff. And then slowly just doing that consistency, it just kind of expanded. And now somehow I'm at 330 and I can't believe that I'm at 330. So it's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, I had a little side business for a while and then I kind of closed up the shop for that and I was like, I need something else for my time other than just running all the time. And I was like, I need to blend my running and weather passion together. Yeah. And I just, I figured it was such a small little niche that maybe someone would be interested in it. <laughs> well, I was interested. I thought, I was like, whoa, this is a sweet premise. So, well, thank you. All right. So, uh, kind of get into your background. Where did you, how did you get into running? Where do you live now? Where do you do most of your runs at? Yeah. So I'm from Iowa originally, um, kind of grew up doing all the team sports. I really loved like contact sports, um, hockey, football. It transitioned into like rugby during college. Uh, and rugby is just an insane amount of running. I went from being a lineman in football where you're running maybe like five yards, uh, most plays to uh, 
doing rugby where you're going like six or seven miles during a game. Like I think they've, you know, obviously put trackers on people and whatnot. And the position I was playing, it was like average of like seven miles or something. And so during really? the off season, yeah. And so during the off season, I was like, man, I, I have to be able to train endurance. Like you just have to, you don't, you know, you're not always sprinting in a game, but you are jogging around the field and then sprinting, getting hit and tackling people and then getting back up and doing it some more. So, um, so I kind of just started going for runs based off of that. And I'd go for like three mile runs around Iowa city. Um, and I remember doing it consist. I was telling myself I have to be, I guess consistency is really important to me apparently. Cause I was like, I have to do this consistently. And I would go out and I would hate it. I hated it so much, but I was like, I have to do this three miles and like my back would be tight. Like everything would be tight. I'm like, oh, this sucks so much, but I have to do it. And I did that for months, like three months probably. And then all of a sudden one day, I'll I'll never forget this. And um, it's so silly and maybe this is just how my brain works, but I'm like listening to music and I'm listening to a, a Beatles song and it's Dear Prudence. And in the song, like they're literally, John Lennon's literally like, look around, look at the blue sky, look at the birds, look, what a good day, basically is like the premise of it. And I was looking around, I'm like, oh my God, it is a beautiful day. And then it clicked in that moment. And I was like, I think I like running now. This is weird, but it took like three months to get there. So, so yeah, so that's kind of how I got into it. Um, and then from there, just progressed. Uh, eventually heard about trail running when I moved. I moved to Virginia for three years, uh, started trail running there. And um, I would I would go out and leave my house or leave after work. And I would put on this bandana to start trail running. That was like my like superhero mask or whatever. And I put this bandana on and I'd feel like a different person. And then I'd go run these muddy trails, hopping over roots and and copperhead snakes and getting spider webs in the face and i would be all sweaty because it's virginia and it's like you i mean we're getting into weather uh humidity is just crazy there yeah and i would get home my wife would be like how'd it go i'm like i feel alive (laughs) like i would feel so awesome but i'd look just covered in dirt and mud and stuff um and then that's kind of how we came up with the name like a bigfoot because i would just tell her hey like She's like, what are you going to do uh, on Saturday? I'm like, oh, I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to go run through the woods like a Bigfoot. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of how that came about. <laughs> um, I like it. It's, yeah. very, it's very fitting. Yeah, thank you, man. And now I live in a, like a western suburb of Denver. I'm probably like 10 minutes from some of the foothill trails and stuff out here. So uh, it's it's like where I where I live right now, It's to, we're totally spoiled with just the amount of trails there are to go out on and explore and go for a run and stuff like that. So, yeah. I'm always jealous of everybody out there because there's the trail system is just phenomenal out there. It's wild, man. Like, you put it in your... Like, I have a map. Uh, I can show you. I don't know if your audience can see, but I have a map on my wall of just the front range. Nice. And I, like, mark off the trails that I've ran or biked or whatever. And it's not even, like, 10% marked off. You know, and I'm like, I do this a lot and I still haven't seen even like a little bit of what there is out here. That's awesome. So you played rugby in Iowa? Yeah. So I played rugby. Because I mean, yeah, 
I live in Ohio, and rugby is not a sport really that many people. I mean, there's there's a couple of clubs, but I mean, it's that's interesting. You figure in the Midwest, not really big for known for rugby. It's more football or running or stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, they're basically they started a high school team when I was in. I, I grew up in Muscatine, Iowa, and the like rich family in Muscatine, Iowa. Uh, the son became obsessed with rugby. He was just like, this is the best sport. So what he did was he hired all of these Australians, New Zealanders, Fiji or Fiji, Fijians. I don't like people from Fiji to come over and play for our local like men's league rugby team. And so all of a sudden Muscatine, I was winning like national championships. Like it's just crazy. crazy. It just blew up. And so he started the team for high school and our coach like was like a professional Australian guy. And he like, to be fair, he was coaching a bunch of like Iowa high schoolers who had no idea what rugby was like, <laughs> you know, it's not like he whipped us into like the greatest team of all time or anything like that. But, but yeah, I fell in love with it. And to challenge that, I will say we had some battles with Ohio state and every time you'd get tackled, you would also be getting punched in the face by an Ohio state gentlemen uh on the way down so uh yeah so i think from my perspective i was always like man ohio has way more rugby than iowa does so who knows that's interesting (laughs) i guess there's probably a small niche of the rugby players just like trail runners that i don't know about there must be yeah man i'm sure there's a big trail running community in in ohio too you know yeah. Oh, tra- yeah. Trail running's big. There's a lot of state parks here. I mean, a lot of people give a lot Ohio a lot of grief because we don't have the elevation. But I mean, we've got Arlen Glick. Yeah. Uh, and he talks every time he goes onto a podcast. People give him grief. He's like, "Oh, you're from the flatlands of Ohio," and he's like, "There's some hills around here that people don't even necessarily like to drive up, let alone try to run up." So, <laughs> yeah, we have some hills and some state parks. I mean, I did the uh, the Shawnee 50 miler, which is uh, on in the south side of Ohio, and it goes around the backpack loop of Shawnee State Forest. And there's about 12,000 feet within the 50 miles. So Dang, I mean, it's, it's got some. That, we have some hills in Ohio, yeah. but a lot of people just think that it's flat farmland. No, man, that's where you so. like. That's where they show up, and then you're like, nope. And then the locals just take over. Right. Uh, so obviously you're from the Midwest, but now living in Denver. But if you could pick your ideal running weather, what would you pick? Oh, man. So I just did a 50K this last weekend in Fruta. Uh, we got rained. We were supposed to do 100K and got rained out, which sucked. So definitely not the ideal weather for that. But the next day, they're like, we're going to do the 50K the next day. And it was in uh, the desert of Fruta. So the trails just dried up instantly. Um, but during that run, it was probably like 50 degrees and sunny and perfect. So I was like, dude, this, you can't beat this weather. So I'd say like 50, 60, sunny, like it's always, that's always the best. What I'm doing is I'm going to try to keep a tally and pick the the favorite weather because there's some people that love to run when it's like the mid twenties. There's other people that love to run when it's like 70 or 80. And it's just, it's really interesting that people don't agree on the exact same weather to go run in. I'm really curious. You would think yeah. that would be the same. Yeah, you got to tell me your results there. That sounds awesome. I will. Uh, so what about least favorite weather? Um, Here's the thing. I think I my biggest advice is to always just go out. Like if you had a run planned and you have this training that you're supposed to be doing, 
the weather is going to be the weather and it's going to be something you can't control. So you got to just go out and face it. And the more weird situations you put yourself in, whether it's like really windy or, or pouring rain or snow or things like that, like you're, that's going to help you get used to it. Because if you are training for a race or like an adventure or something like that, like you're going to show up to the start line and you have no idea what the weather's going to be. And you have no idea, um, you know, like what, like what you're going to face and you can't control it. So during the training, you just got to show up. Um, that being said, my second 50 K ever was in North Carolina in December. I can't remember the exact date, but it was like mid December. Um, and it was pouring rain, like downpouring rain, probably 35 degrees and a downpour. So that was my least favorite weather. Hands down. That was, that was pretty brutal. I remember finishing the race and it was at this point, it was like the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. So, you know, in your head, you're like, yay, hardest thing. Like you're feeling so accomplished. And I got to the finish line and the race director climbed out of his car with a medal. My wife climbed out, gave me like a quick hug and then climbed back in her car. The race director gave me the medal, climbed back in his car. And I was like, I love ultra running. I'm like, this is amazing. I just did this. <laughs> I did this crazy hard thing and nobody cares. And it's awesome. Like, this is what I wanted from this experience, you know? Um, but that was rough, man. Like I was just like, why can't it be four degrees colder? So it's snowing and I can handle right. snow. And it would at least bounce off. Of yeah. You. I was like, yeah. I can handle snow. No problem. But I was like drenched and I couldn't even get my gloves on. Cause my hands were like freezing. Oh man. That was rough. That was Table Rocks Ultra back in uh, 2013. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. December 14th. Yeah. Uh, so is there any type of weather that you, training run wise, I mean, if you're in a race, it's kind of a dis- different situation, but if, is there any sort of training run weather that you will not run in? Um, I think, like I said, you just got to put yourself out there. Um, I'm not going to go out for a training run when it's like lightning. Lightning is really dangerous, especially out here on these big, bluffs and mountains where there's not a lot of tree cover um that's what gets really sketchy out in colorado so you know you always hear about people climbing the 14ers and they get stuck in a lightning storm i've been stuck in a right. couple lightning storms out here and it is terrifying and so that is something like you know i'm avoiding that at all at all costs pretty much the other weather that's really challenging out here and i'm i haven't been smart enough to avoid it is just the insane amount of wind like a storm blows in from the mountains down here on the front range we get like 60 mile an hour winds or something and i just there's been a couple days where i've left school at the end of the day and my wife can pick up the kids for whatever reason which is usually my job and so i'm like i'm gonna go for a run no matter what and i remember being up on my local mountain and I got to the top and the wind is whipping so hard. It like knocked me over somehow. Like my foot, my foot lifted up and ran like the wind blew it into my legs, my other leg. And then I like fell over. I was like, whoa, the wind just knocked me over. That was wild. Uh, and I remember thinking at the top, like, why am I up here? This is the dumbest day to be running ever. And I saw one other guy, one other dude 
slowly running along and we kind of like gave us each other like a nod like yep you're also an idiot for being up here good job right uh but yeah those two i mean anything else like you know i'll run in the heat i'll run in the cold i'll run in the rain and the snow and all of that but if it's lightning i'm not just i'm just not gonna mess with it you know right not worth the risk So in the beginning, the intro, I was kind of alluding to you running across the desert. I see that you've run Desert Rats twice. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yep. Whoa, that scared me too. Got a quick lightning delay before we get back to the episode. And this is a great chance to hit that subscribe button, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting app. And that way you're notified when a new episode of Weathering the Run comes out, which is every other Wednesday morning. And maybe you know someone that this story could relate to. Share it with them. Maybe you got a great story yourself. Let me know about it. Weatheringtherun at gmail.com. Right now, back to the episode. So kind of for the listener who doesn't know about Desert Rats, kind of give the, the rundown of how that race works out. Yeah, so Desert Rats is a stage race. So it's a five-stage stage race uh, through the desert from Fruta, Colorado to Moab, Utah. You kind of like diagonal cut. You're kind of following the Colorado River for most of it, um, and it takes place in June. So it it's in the desert in June. The weather can be insanely hot, like insanely hot, the hottest days I've ever experienced. Um, and basically what you're doing is each day you're running um, a bit of the Cocopelli Trail, and eventually you get yourself to Moab. Um, So you're running during the day at night. They have a camp set up. So you're running your way. The finish line is the camp. Uh, You go get to camp, you sit down, you cheer everyone else on. You're shoving food in your face the whole time. Uh, And then the next day you wake up and you go a little bit further to Moab. And then eventually by the end, you you wind up there. Um, The distances vary. Um, The first day is 20 miles. Second day is like 38, 39 the third day is nine. The fourth day is 42 and you climb up into the mountains. And then the last day is a marathon. So um, big time distances for sure. And you're way out there. You're way out in the middle of nowhere. Um, but you're also surrounded. Are there any stream crossings or anything like that? Uh, I mean, if there's streams, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, it's so, it's so dry that um, most of the time you're not getting that. But there has been areas that have like started to have water if there's been rainstorms and, and you're kind of sinking in the mud. I have a pretty funny story about that if we want to get into it at some point. Uh, sure. But you're yeah. getting everything, man. You're getting th- everything thrown at you um, because you're going you know, like that's a significant amount of time to be traveling in a significant distance. And you're outside the whole time, like you're in tents and, and camping out. And so if storms blow in for that, like you're there with the rest of the desert rats and you're trying to keep each other safe. Uh, I love it. It's the best race I've ever ran hands down. Um, I loved it so much. I made a movie about it. Uh, <laughs> um, not featuring. Yeah, tell me. people a little bit about that. Yeah, so we uh, we did the race in 2018. Uh, met some really amazing people out there. I've met lifelong friends. We're people that you know I've shared a lot of really deep conversations with. Um, people who have changed my life. Uh, and um, we basically we went out in 2018. We decided to do it again in 2019. So. A few of us decided to go back and then that just kind of like deepened the friendship, deepened this like wonderful experience we had. And essentially it's 
the idea of like on Monday, everybody's strangers. You don't know anybody. I showed up. I didn't know anybody there. It's not like I showed up with a group of friends um, or anything like that. But then by Saturday, when it when it finishes, you don't want to leave this group of people. You're like bonded. The desert has bonded you together. You've helped each other. You've laughed. You've cried. You've seen the best of humanity out there. Um, and you just really develop this love for each other. It's amazing. Like I've like I said, I've, and it's not just me. It's not just with the group I ran with. I see it every time. Like I've been, I've seen other rats that have like come together and have been best friends from here on, you know? Um, it's just, it's this weird like bonding experience that happens. And without getting like super long-winded, uh, COVID lockdowns happened in 2020. Um, I was talking to my friend, Paul Shearing. Paul, I met him on the trail day one in 2018. Uh, he's like a Hollywood screenwriter, director, producer, showrunner type guy. He's been doing this stuff for like 20 years, making uh, TV shows and movies and stuff like that. Um, and he just mentioned like the possibility of maybe one to do a documentary. And then we both decided to do focus it on rats because I was like, why would, why wouldn't you just film desert rats? You know, like weird, quirky, amazing people show up, you know, it's a hard right. experience. So like really cool things happen during the race. They face a lot of like legit ad adversity and challenges. Like, why wouldn't you just film that? And he threw out the idea of what if we film it? And I was like, wow, I've like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, you know, mild mannered science teacher in my brain. That's what I was telling myself. Um, but it was awesome. And I loved having him kind of like guide this process. And I feel like I got this film school. So the idea basically was we were missing that connection because we were on the lockdown and we were thinking about this time that we found the most human connection. And so this summer after that, we had done all the pre-production stuff and got a crew together somehow. We didn't know how we were going to do any of this. Um, we figured it out step by step, consistent steps along the way lead to big results. And we were able to get a small crew of four out there, film the race. And then we spent another year editing the stories together, um, doing the interviews and things like that. And I'm super proud of, of how it turned out. Um, and can I just promote it really quick? Is that weird? Yeah, go I'm, for it. Absolutely. I'm totally, I mean, I've watched it. It's phenomenal. I'm totally Midwestern and I feel weird about promoting stuff, but, uh, you can watch no. it. It's called the long way from nowhere. We put it out on YouTube, so it's free and available for everybody. Um, and it's on the audacious report, um, on YouTube. So, and it's an awesome channel by Robbie Ballinger and Reese Robinson. And they, they are putting out some really cool stuff there. Yeah, for anybody that has not watched that yet, I mean, again, a long way from nowhere. It is phenomenal. Uh, there's a por portion where Jason Comstock, when he he is the character in the in the episode, and it is just when he's sitting there. I'm not going to go into too many details because I don't want to spoil it. But when they're working on his feet, and he's just sitting there nonchalantly eating food after finishing that day. I mean, you have to go and watch watch this uh, documentary to see what they're doing and his reaction to it. It's like he it's like he's watching birds in his backyard or something. He doesn't even acknowledge. He's it. just eating potato salad, man. You gotta re you gotta get those uh, calories back in, you know. 
Uh, that when yeah. that was going on, I just remember thinking, "Oh, this is ultra running. Like we're capturing what some of the weird amazingness that I love about this sport is that it's so harsh, and yet at the same time, he's just eating food. The doctors are joking with him. People are all coming. Like every person in the camp came over to look at his feet." Uh, and yeah, I was like, I love this sport. <laughs> this- Most people couldn't even eat if they were watching what was going on to his, f- I mean, ultra runners were kind of, you're used to those weird <laughs> conditions. And I mean, I'm assuming that just the amount of sweat and everything and just the amount of moisture probably in his shoes yeah. had just built up in the heat as well. Well, can we talk about that day? Because I, if that was the, that was the most extreme weather I've ever personally witnessed it got to like 116 degrees in the air. We put a thermometer on the ground and it was like over 130 on some of the asphalt. Wow. And we're just filming. Like we're not running 38 miles like the runners were. And it's 38 miles through like the landscape of Mars. There, that day specifically, there's like no cover ever, like anywhere. And... I was like going to our film crew and I kept asking, I was being like total dad mode here. I was like, are you guys peeing? I was like, are you peeing? Is it, is it Brown? Like I was trying to, I was like, I don't want you guys to get sick. And like, you know, I felt responsible for our, for our crew. And you know, I kept being like, drink, drink some more water, drink some more. Cause you just don't, you don't feel yourself sweating cause it's so dry. And it's just evaporating instantly. So you're like becoming dehydrated instantaneously without knowing it. And that can catch up to you really, really, really fast. And it it was scary. I'm going to be honest. Like it was scary out there. Um, I was thankful and grateful that we were out there filming that day just because we were extra eyes out on the course. You know, like we're zoom- we weren't just at the aid stations. That's part of the fun of doing this movie is I, we got to be out on the course, like everywhere. And so we got to see the runners and it was just honestly good for my life. Like I just wanted to make sure everyone was safe. So it was awesome to be out there and just be extra eyes, but it got really gnarly, like 116 degrees and the wind is just blowing super hard. It felt like you were in like a hairdryer from hell and it was insane, dude. Like, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I don't, I hope our movie captured a little bit of it. But if you want the full experience on day two, just turn on a hairdryer right in your face while you're watching the day two part of the movie. And, and, uh, that'll be a little bit closer to how it was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've watched, I mean, it's the thing when you get into these ultra running, uh, experiences, it feels like you just want to drink from a fire hydrant with, documentaries and everything like that and i have to say like this is one of the best ones out there it's oh, thank you. it's phenomenal just capturing the characters and just everything about running through the desert for days on end so you guys did a great job with oh, that thank you man and i'll have yeah absolutely you and i'll have the link in the show notes to that so you can just click on that and go check that out um so it kind of leads us into the next question is for you what is the worst experience that you've ever had to run through granted you were out there filming during this but as far as like just running, is it one of the desert rat races? Is it something else that you've done? I'm trying. I already told my story about the freezing rain. That was pretty bad. Right. I'll put that up there. Oh, I have a non-weather related. Sorry. This is going to be a biological hazard. I think I found the one factor that will stop me. 
is okay. I went running. My dad lives in northern Wisconsin, and I went for a trail run out there in the summer, and it was on these like four wheel drive or uh, four wheeler and snowmobile trails. So like out in the woods, the swarms yeah. of flies, like swarms. I have videos on my phone of just getting swarmed with like flies and mosquitoes and stuff, and they like land on you and bite you and stuff. That was bad. Like I remember I put a 30 minute timer on my phone. I was going to go out for 30, back for 30. And as it was going, I kept looking at it every like 10 seconds, like speed up time. Like I was, it was rough. So that I, that one's a hard one to run through. So you Midwesterners, I have to say like biggest props of all time to all the Midwesterners, especially in the North woods just getting eaten alive by mosquitoes but but putting those miles in anyways so um that one was like the ice age trail yeah the ice age trail people say the ticks the ticks are insane yeah dude yeah so all of that that is a whole nother factor um that is really really challenging um i'd say probably that day too like when i did desert routes in 2018 it got really hot it didn't get to 116 degrees but it's just really hard to to withstand that. I learned more as uh, I went back in 2019 and started preparing for the heat. Like I learned more about and and really just during 2018 because you had to adapt to survive that race. Um, how you can cool yourself down. So that was that was nice to learn that. But yeah, that heat just it's it gets really really hard if your body's not adapted to it. Well, you came back in 2019 and ended up winning the thing. Oh, man. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, 2019 was weird. It was a weird year. If you looked at the weather of 2019 Desert Rats, it was probably the coldest year of all time. So I think one day it got to 90 degrees and that was it. The rest of the days was like nice weather. We're like, this is nice. This is kind of pleasant weather. Um, but with that... Wait, ta- yeah, sorry. I was going to say, time-wise, you finished six hours faster. So, I mean, that's a big a big improvement. I mean, you're covering the same distance, but to do that six <laughs> over six hours faster, I mean, obviously, the weather cooperated yeah, with Yeah, so that helps for sure. And that just kind of goes to show how the big swings of the, the weather in the desert, you know. Um, that year, we did have to contend with storms, like really bad storms, especially at night in camp, lightning, things like that. I'll never forget... Um, we're all in the tent dead asleep at like 1230 um, at night. And it's the night before the the marathon, the last day. So we're we're going to leave the next day. We're all sore. We're all beat up, chafed, blistered, all of that stuff. And we're all just laying in this tent and uh, this storm blew in and it was crazy. And it was lightning and, and windy and raining sideways and all that stuff. And in the middle of the night, we just hear one of the runners yelling, like yelling, help me. Actually, she wasn't really yelling it. She was like calmly saying, help me, but it was alarming enough. She's like, help me. Can someone help me? And we all just, and it was kind of a cool thing to see is all these people who are very tired instantly stop thinking about themselves and feel concerned for this other person. And we all instantly sprinted out of the tent. No questions asked, sprinted out it's chaos outside dude like tents are like her tent is blowing over and she's still inside of it like the stakes are out of the ground is tipped she's in it 
um the camp itself like things are flying everywhere i, I see reed the race director who's the, the the burly guy like the tough you know the guy in our in our movie and he's just hammering stuff down like just swinging a hammer and like we make eye contact and he's like go get her and threw me like some duct tape or something and uh <laughs> we we pull our tent down and we're hammering it down duct taping it it's chaos we're getting soaking wet um and then of course as it does uh as soon as we got everything back in place the storm was gone and it was like a perfect night and there was no wind or anything and we're like really come on now but uh but yeah so that was yeah that was just a unique year it really was um it was a great year there's only um 11 of us in the race that year uh wow yeah so super small group we, like I said, when we talk about bonding, I mean, it's hard not to bond when it's 11 of you. Um, I'll also say, though, the crew, the people supporting you, the doctors, uh, the EMTs, the people at the, the aid station, the chef, the guy feeding you, um, everybody's a group by the end of it. It doesn't matter if you're a runner or crew, like everybody by the end finds those bonds. And uh, and yeah, it's pretty, it's a special thing. It's a really special race. And I really have enjoyed my time there. So you think that that day two though was the hardest day for you out there? It was bad. It's, it's the hardest day out there. I think cause you're not fully adapted to it. Like even if it's really hot by the end of the last stage, you've been in the heat for almost a week. So your body's somewhat adapted. Like you don't even go inside. So it's like you're in the heat and then you get to camp and you're still in the heat. So your body right. eventually adapts and you get stronger as the week goes on. But that day two, you're not adapted yet. And it's just long and it's just f like a flat trail for my, with the sun is pounding down on you. Um, and it just, your brain gets foggy, dude. It's just, you're kind of all over. Like I remember I had ice in my hat and it was in a baggie. Which I learned later, if you just put ice straight up in your hat, it'll melt and it'll actually keep your head cool for about 30 minutes, even if it's really, really hot. So you'll have 30 minutes where your body will cool down a bit. Um, and then it's just completely dry after that, which is the weirdest thing. But but at first I put it in a little baggie, like a Ziploc bag and put it in my hat. And I just remember at one point I was like, oh, that would feel so good. Just like if I popped that bag and it just like streamed out my face. It would be so cold and wonderful. And then I was like, oh, I could just get it off with my hands and open it, but I don't want to do that. I'm like, I have a knife in my pocket. So I picked up a knife, opened it, and I was like, wait a second. If I try to poke that bag with my knife, I'm going to be poking myself in the head with a knife. That's not good. Right. But your brain just gets to these weird, funky places that it's not, it's not operating at 100%. You know what I mean? So you just kind of have, yeah. you have to catch yourself and be like, no, that's a, that was a terrible idea. Chris, what are you doing? <laughs> so other than learning not to stab yourself in the head, I mean, what other things did you learn out there as far as dealing with those conditions and what would you do differently? Yeah. Um, I would say the ice in the hat is, was huge for me. Um, but also like ice behind the neck ice i'd have like a little like wristband or like a buff over my wrist i'd put ice there like anywhere where it's hitting that blood like the veins are mm -hmm. close um and that would cool me off for a while uh 
And honestly, it was just about pace. Like if it gets that hot, you have to know your body and you have to know when you can push and when you're, the weather's winning and you just have to slow yourself down. Um, you know, so basically the idea of like walk, you know, when they say in ultra running, like walk the uphills, run the downhills. I really, that whole week I took that into like, that was my strategy. And even if it inclined just a little bit, I would slow down and walk it. But when I was walking, I would, that's when I was conscious of my speed and my pace. Like I don't run with a watch or anything like that. Um, but when I stopped to walk, I would like walk as fast as I can. And then when I ran, I would just run at whatever speed felt good at the time. So that was kind of my strategy going in. Um, and I think it helped cause I didn't ever get just overexerted. Like once you get overexerted, it's really going to be hard to come back, especially if weather conditions are that bad. Um, and so for me, it was really about being conscious about not overexerting myself. Um, you know, especially in the first couple of days when, you know, you have the rest of the week to go. So yeah, man, um, try to think what else to cool down. Did, did you change up any of your gear for the second time you ran that just as far as keeping yourself out of this, like blocking yes. the sun from hitting your skin? Yeah. So that was big. That was big. Uh, I have a friend, Thomas Mullins, who's like, he is basically like the, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi of ultra running. Except if Obi-Wan was like a very good looking Texan with a cool cowboy hat, you know what I mean? Who like everything he yeah. says just sounds super cool because he's from Texas, you know? Um, but I remember Thomas Mullins and really I, I met him in 2018 and kind of got to run with him the last couple of days. And I learned so much from that experience, just talking with him and running with him. He's done all sorts of like 200 milers and all sorts of crazy stuff he's an amazing guy he's very very knowledgeable um and he talks a lot about um solar load like he he's almost completely covered with white long sleeved he even wears like gloves so it's not touching his skin when it gets that hot any place your skin's exposed you can feel it and you know the the it really does make a difference. The white long sleeves, that is going to reflect the sun and it's just going to keep you cool. But anywhere your skin's touching it, it's absorbing more heat than the white long sleeves. So, um, so yeah, I definitely learned that to like covering up was so important. Um, as in even filming, like I have pictures of me filming and I have, it's that hot day and I have a buff completely covering my head, all of my skin, is covered uh long sleeves and all of that i just it's it really is huge and you know you see the people running bad water and sometimes maybe you're like at least for me when i first saw that i'm like why like they all kind of look ridiculous like running down the road but now i'm like oh my god they're doing it to survive this is why this group of people can run bad water you know like they're able they've adapted their plans and that's like a huge part of it you know that's what I was going to ask, kind of following up with that is obviously bad water. You have your crew in the van there literally following you. But the other different thing with desert rats is you're running in between the aid stations. So you are out there in the desert by yourself rather than having your crew following literally yeah. right there next to you practically. Um, does running something like bad water interest you considering you've done this desert rats a couple of times? Man... See, here's the deal. So I've never ran a hundred miler. I've never done the overnight 
grinded out situation um so that aspect does not appeal to me at all uh bad water i'm fascinated by it like i really am um i've never had the inclination to want to even look into what it takes to to get into that um i will say i really want to go to death valley though like that place looks awesome um it looks unbelievable like a place you've never like you would never see anywhere else uh i'll say there's a really great book called into the furnace by Corey reese Corey's an amazing ultra runner uh he's a wonderful writer his most recent book i'm trying to remember the name of it i think it's something like out of the dark or something like that but look it up it's all about like mental health struggles and ultra running. And I, I found it super good and super important, but his other book into the furnace is all about bad water. Um, and it goes back from the history of the race itself to the history of death Valley and the people who first tried to traverse it, um, back in like the 1800s. And it is so fascinating. Like I highly, highly Hmm. recommend that book. It's really, really cool. Um, I'll have to put that on my yeah, list. Yeah, but I'm not, I don't know if I'm like, a, I don't think I'm a like masochist for extreme heat. I'm not sure. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I do, I do enjoy being in the heat. Um, but I don't know if it's something like I crave, you know, like if you're going to be like, you can run this really hot thing or run a 60 degree thing. I'm like, well, give me the 60 degree every day. What? That's not, is that even a question? <laughs> Right. Uh, so you kind of touched on the mental health there. When you're doing Desert Rats or any of these other races that you've done, I mean, what what's your why or what's your drive? Because, I mean, obviously when you're out there, especially running through the desert like that, I mean, you have to have drive to want to keep going other than the fact that just survival alone. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is. It's interesting. I think every event you go into it with, your why your reason for being there um and it's always different you know like depending on the stage of life you're at or the recent events that you've you know witnessed or anything like that um and then i think what happens is you do the race and all of a sudden all these things that you didn't even expect to be thinking about or realizing or understanding just show up they just show up in your brain And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I had no idea that I was going to leave that race understanding life in a, in that certain new way. Um, and so the way I kind of look at things with this, and I've kind of realized this as the years have gone by and I've really, I've had these different realizations during, during these events. But I think honestly, for me, my why is I want to go out there and I want to kind of get these little uh, realizations and I don't know what they're going to be. That's the cool part. I think life is like this giant puzzle, right? And we spend all of our lives, we're trying to figure out what the puzzle is, you know, and there are these deep questions. Why are we here? What is our purpose? What's like, how am I going to affect the world? And you have this giant puzzle and you're always constantly trying to figure it out. And I also think it's kind of silly to think like you're going to magically figure out life. Like I don't think you're ever going to actually magically figure out life. But I think the strive 
to understand it is is why we're here. I think that's the purpose. I think we have to try to strive to understand the world around us. And so when I go out and run an ultra or do something crazy or have just any sort of adventure really, um, and it doesn't happen every time, but a lot of the times what happens is I'm out there and I'll be running for hours and hours and hours and there's like 30 seconds where I have the realization or I make a connection or somehow I'm like, I solve this little bit of my life that I didn't expect. And then I leave that race with that puzzle piece. You know what I mean? And I'm like, whoa, I, how did I not understand this before? You know, and just to give you an example. So, and there's been many, some, some definitely super personal, some not so much, but there's the idea and I'll tell my students this too, but it's the idea of like control what you can control, you know, control the controllables in your life. And look, like people tell you that all the time. You know, you've had teachers tell you that, your parents, everybody tells you that. But until you realize it, it doesn't stick. And so in 2018, for me, I was out there and it was a long day and it was really hot. And I was just in my brain, I was like, you can't control the weather. So you can't control the distance. You can't control the elevation. Like you can't control any of that. And then I was like, what can I control? And I was like, I can control what I'm putting in my body. I can control my pace, all that. And all of a sudden that clicked and I was like, whoa, that's the thing people have always been telling me. (laughs) And for the rest of my life, now I have that lesson because I actually like, it came up and I internalized it in a way that I never have before. Um, And that has happened to me so many times in ultras and it's lessons that stick with you forever. Like there's even things that I think I've probably thought about today that I learned in some adventure that I've done. And, and that's what I think is the beautiful thing about the sport is that you get those puzzle pieces like that. I mean, the rewards are, are cool. You get a medal at the end. I've done races where you get sand at the end and you're like, I just, I had sand in my shoes the whole time. Like I don't want more sand, (laughs) you know, like, but so those are all cool. And and you get to put a picture online, which is always fun and stuff but but to me like the real metals that you end with are these kind of like new ways of being that you get to apply or at least try to apply the rest of your life that is deeply philosophical i didn't i dude i i try not to be deeply philosophical most times so (laughs) <laughs> no, I love it. I mean, when you're out there on the trail, I mean, you're just your mind is constantly going. And it seems like every time that I've done one of these races, you just learn something about yourself that you didn't learn before. And it's interesting, too, how you were saying, you know, control what you can control. And I had John Kelly on the last interview and I asked him, I'm like, you do these crazy long events. Sometimes they're going five days on end or longer. Some of his FKTs and he said what he'll do is maybe a week out, he'll look at the weather, but he doesn't put more than maybe a couple of thoughts into it, like kind of get a gauge on what it is. And he said it's really not until about 24 hours out that he starts worrying about the weather and not necessarily worry, but it's like, all right, these are the conditions. What can I do to prepare? Because I can't control it, but I'm going to have different kits for whatever is possible to have my crew there ready to give to me or whatever, because... Ultimately, like you mentioned, you can't control it. All you can do is control how you're going to react to that situation. And when you're doing, I mean, first of all, John Kelly, 
like such an awesome like it's funny i can't even imagine what he's done you know what i mean i can't even wrap my head around it but when you're doing these really long efforts for you whatever your long efforts are you can't even waste mental energy like you don't if Mm -hmm. if you're doing these really hard things you don't have mental energy to waste and so there's no point of worrying about the weather i think it just you you realize that because you're like i can't change it i can't do anything about it why i can't waste energy right now throwing myself a pity party i just have to go you know and even beforehand like i can't i'm like leading up to this doing this really hard thing like I can't worry for three days. Like what's, what's that going to accomplish? Nothing. So, yeah. Right. Uh, so I'm a big gearhead cause gear can either make or break the day. Um, obviously you kind of gave two extreme different situations. You're dry, running through the middle of the desert. Uh, is there any piece of gear that you would recommend someone for that? And then also the race that you did, um, when it was pouring rain and it was like 35 degrees, is there any gear or even outside of those, any other type of gear that, something that you think people should at least have in their kit handy and ready to go for weird weather situations. I'm not a gearhead at all. I'm terrible at knowing gear uh, and stuff like that. But I'll say this, this is just a tip. I don't know if everyone needs this or not. There's these like towels that um, you put water on and they stay wet for a while. You know what I'm talking about? They're like cool towels. They like stay cool. The cooling towels. I don't know how it happens. I don't know the science behind it. It's magic in my mind, Uh, but I call them nipple towels. Okay. So you put them on, you dip them in the water. It's really hot. You put it behind your neck and then you put it down under your vest over your nipples. Feels good. That's how you cool yourself down. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what about the the cold race anything cold you learned race, from that that you would yeah. change have legit rain gear don't buy like your rain gear if it's not good it's just gonna soak through and nothing's gonna happen have good gloves i can't remember the gloves i had but like i said i took them off at one point and i couldn't get them back on because my hands were so cold so yeah that i mean like actual rain gear and not just uh like sometimes i'll buy a a jacket like a windproof jacket and in my mind i'm like mm-hmm. i think this will block rain maybe but i haven't done any research and then you're in the middle of the rain and you find out really fast if it blocks rain <laughs> this is exactly what john kelly said too <laughs> he said i mean basically you're just giving his interview yeah, shoot, but no man. he said too he's like he'll He'll look at uh, schemo gear because he said it's a little bit heavier to pack, but he said it is way more protective than like the thin. He's like, even though these companies are using the best technology they can, is that if you're doing schemo and you're up in the mountains, like you have to have something legit rather than just this super thin, ultra light packable jacket. Yeah. He's very smart. I yeah, I'm fascinated by that guy. He he's he probably said nipple towel in a much smarter way. He. He absolutely did. He he referenced that as well. Uh, so what do you have coming up this year? Any big races or anything? No, man. So this 100K, the last weekend that was canceled was going to be my big thing, um, which is kind of cool, kind of freeing. Uh, I love training. I've really found this over the last uh, few months training for this thing. Uh, I really do love the structure of training, but I also love the uh, openness of not having anything I'm training for. Um, I, there's so many adventures out here in Colorado that you can just go out and do 
it doesn't have to be a race. It doesn't yeah. have to be a big event or anything like that. You can just look at a map, be like, here's some mountains I want to go up or whatever. Um, so I'm excited for that. Um, I do feel like it was a weird thing. Your mind, my mind was prepared for a hundred K and then to go down and do half the distance, which was super fun and awesome. And I, I really had a good time. Um, but it was just a different mindset. Like I was ready to push myself and not fully know if I could f- finish the thing. You know what I mean? I was ready to have that kind of yeah. doubt during the race. Um, and so now I have all this training and I'm like, man, do I, what do I want to do next? Do I want to sign up for anything this summer? Do I want to wait till next fall? There's a, there, I'll just say it on here. I don't know if I'm doing it yet, but there's this stage race in Texas that's self-supported stage race. So you carry all your gear and all your food and stuff. Um, kind of like the, the classic, like international stage races do that format. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really considering it. It's hard for me as a teacher to be able to leave for a week in fall. Um, but it's something that's really called to me over the last couple of years. And I've, I've wanted, I've been so close. I've been on the website. The register thing is there and I just haven't clicked it. So, um, so maybe something like that. I don't, I don't know, but, um, but yeah, man, I'm hoping for a summer just full of awesome adventures and stuff. Love it. Uh, so to kind of wrap things up, I mean, any sponsors or any, uh, accounts plugs, I mean, obviously your podcast will have links to that in the show notes. Anything else? Um, I don't have any sponsors, uh, even for the podcast. I've, I just personally went into it like with it being a passion project and have tried to keep it like that. Obviously, like we were able to make the movie. Uh, the podcast was a huge part of that. You know, being able to interview people and form connections and communities and stuff like that. Um, so it's been huge in that sense. Uh, but yeah, man, I'm just going to I'd just say, you know, like a Bigfoot podcast. We have some cool episodes coming up. We have a bunch of cool ones that have already been recorded. We talked from uh, every like all sorts of different types of adventures. Um, ultra running obviously is huge because I love ultra running, but we've done episodes with bike packers, uh, people who have rode boats across the ocean, which is just fascinating awesome. to me. Like, I don't know if I'd ever do it, but any of those stories I am 100% in on. Uh, yeah, just all sorts of different different types of adventures. So uh, like a wide variety there if, if people are kind of into this kind of stuff. Um, and then the movie, yeah, A Long Way From Nowhere. Uh, it's on YouTube, like I mentioned, on the Audacious Report. So, so yeah, man, uh, that's good. I'm not good at plugging stuff. I don't know. I'm not, I'll have to work on my, my like promo man kind of stuff, you know? That's the Midwestern in you. It's all right. I'm always like, yeah, go check this out or don't. I mean, I don't know if you have enough time. Like, but if you do have time, it would be really nice to, to go on and, and check out for me, huh? I don't know. Right. Yeah, the 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 bike packing thing, that's something. I mean, here in Ohio, I mean, it's all just paved roads everywhere, but if there was more gravel access, gravel roads, I mean, I see some of the photos from out there. I mean, Anton and everything doing amazing oh, yeah. bike packing trips. Yeah. And it just looks phenomenal to just be up there in the mountains and have a quicker access to, you know, cover more miles using the bike rather than just feet. Yeah, I'm really fascinated by it. I'm taking I have started buying gear. Um my oldest daughter is nine years old and I'm planning on taking her this summer and I don't know how far we'll get, 
but it's kind of nice out here because if you're in like a national forest, you can go in as far as you want and throw a tent out. Um, so we're just going to, we, I found a good route. I'm like, Hey, we can go five miles. We can go 10 miles, whatever we want to do, but we're going to go out camp and then go back home and get, get, uh, ice cream or something. <laughs> I love that. No, that. My, my oldest is, uh, she's turning eight this summer. So it's, the we haven't, we've done a couple age. of, it is. We do like backpacking in the backyard and stuff, but we haven't done like full trips overnight because she's a little nervous and stuff like that. But yeah, that's, I mean, as another father, it's just, it's so much fun to just get out there and see the wilderness through their eyes too. Cause obviously for us, I mean, it's, we're trying to cover ground and stuff, but the things that they see and they get excited about is super cool. Oh, it's the best man. Eight like eight years old, nine years old so far, like is the best age. I'm loving it. And they're like, she's finally able to do, uh, be able to do some like bigger adventures. She's interested in it. Like, I think a big part of that is going to be picking the right weekend. You know, speaking of weather, mm-hmm. you don't want to take them out and have them try to camp through a, a rainstorm or anything. Uh, but also just like pushing them enough to have an adventure but definitely not going overboard so like i said if we only go a couple miles up the up the road and throughout the tent then i'm 100 that'll be an awesome like i'll take i have three daughters um i'll take them out go, to go hiking and in my mind i'm like we could make it three miles today because they have a couple times or we could make it 50 feet to that picnic table right there and there's been plenty of times we've only made it 50 feet. So you kind of have to just leave your expectations at the car and just go with it, whatever they're finding fun. Yeah. So, Well, Chris, I can't thank you enough so much. Again, I'll put the links to all those in the show notes for your podcast and also the uh, the documentary. If anybody hasn't seen that yet, highly recommend checking it out. But again, thanks so much for your time. And uh, hopefully we'll meet sometime yeah, soon. Yeah, man, I would love it. Let me know if you're out in Colorado. I would definitely take you out on some trails here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Weathering the Run. And a huge thank you to Chris for coming on this episode to talk about his experiences running, doing the documentary, his podcast, Like a Bigfoot. Check those out. Links are in the show notes. And a huge thank you to all of you that listen in and also to everyone that's left a review so far. It's been very helpful to get this up and started. So something we all have to deal with going out there for the run. And I'm very grateful for all of you listening. And if you got a great weather-related story, let me know. See you next time.